Well, today we're going to continue on in the book of Romans and continue as well with the Apostle Paul's proclamation of the truth that we are justified by grace through faith and not of works. How often have you heard me say that over the last several weeks, or maybe it's several months now that we've been here, because Paul has gone now into the Old Testament. We know from last Sunday, we know as we're getting into chapter 4, that he has gone into the Old Testament and he has brought forth two of the giants of Jewish history, two of the biggest names in Jewish history, in Abraham and David, and I believe, I believe he did that so that he could have the testimony of two witnesses to proclaim what he is saying here about justification by faith. So let's look in Romans 4. We're going to read, go ahead and start in verse 1 again to pick up there, and our, our main uh, thoughts today will come as we get down around verse 9. But let's pick it up again in verse 1, go down through Verse 12, I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, there, let me pause there, there. Paul went back into Genesis 15. What does Scripture say? I love that. when Because that's what we always need to say. Anytime something comes up, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Well, what does Scripture say? Let's go there. So I'm so thankful for just that. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Again, let me pause. This is that section of verses that we looked at last Sunday. And I would just ask this question, and I'll ask it of myself. This past week, did I remember? Did I remember and rejoice in these verses and consider the magnitude of blessing that I have, that you have as a born-again believer? That we have received the blessing that we have received. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Child of God, aren't you thankful? Ain't you thankful that your lawless deeds have been forgiven, that your sins are covered by the blood of Christ, and the Lord shall not impute sin toward you. But rather, He has graciously imputed the righteousness of Christ toward us, who by grace through faith have believed. Our sins imputed to Christ, His righteousness imputed to us, the great exchange that we talked about so much last week. Verse 9 now, verse 9. Does this blessedness then 
come from the circum come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness how then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised not while circumcised but while uncircumcised and he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised that righteousness might be imputed to them also and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Let us pray once again. Oh, Heavenly Father, as, as has already been said, give us ears to hear. Father, just by Your Spirit, by the truth of Your Word, let Your grace and mercy be known. And Father, what we know not, Teach us what we have not give us. Oh, and more importantly, Lord, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. See, Paul, <laughs> to put it lightly, he's being very adamant about continuing with this foundational doctrine of justification by faith. It began in chapter 3, it's going through chapter 4, it's going into chapter 5, and and at some point, then we get into chapter 6, he's going to start talking about sanctification, of the working out of this justification that we have received. And, and you might be tempted as we go along here to say, well, Paul, we get it. Paul, we, we got it. We got it back in, in chapter 3, I, I believe it was 21 and 20, we got it there. We got it when you talked about it again in verse 28. We, we got it, Paul, when, when you mentioned Abraham in the first five chapters, or first five verses of chapter 4. We got it when you reminded us of David's psalm in verses 6 through 8. Paul, why do you keep going on and on about this? See, and here's the temptation for you guys. You might be saying, Preacher, why do you keep going on about it? Preacher, why didn't you just lump three, four, and five chapters all together, preach one sermon, and let it go? Now listen. Listen. If God's Word speaks in depth on a particular doctrine, it is for a reason. Understand that. It, is, it means it's important. I believe it means that we need to pay particular attention and to examine ourselves and our lives in light of the truth that the Word is teaching. And I believe a big reason that the Apostle Paul camped out here is because he's dealing with a very prideful and stubborn people. <laughs> Does this Word still deal with a stubborn and prideful people today. 
oh my goodness, this is probably the most prideful and stubborn time of history, perhaps. I listened to John Piper's sermon. He was talking about this very thing. He, he said, I, I saw it on the magazine rack. There's even a magazine entitled Self. He said, I've never read it. But that that's, that's society today. It's all about self. It's all about me, me, me. What can I get? Whether it's financial or whatever it may be. What favors can I get? What financial hope or can I have? But that's not what's important. And I believe that is why Paul camped out here because of the Pharisees, because of those Jews. Because we know, we talked about it quite often, we know that they had come with these questions. We know. But Paul to us, to the Jews, was given the oracles of God. To us was, was given the law. To us was given the sign of the covenant that was given to, to Abraham in circumcision. That, that, that all was given to us, Paul, and we don't need your, circum, your, your justification by faith. We are already justified. That's so much of the world today. We're already justified. Because the Jews had been taught to be keepers of the law. And by striving to keep the law, they were justified. They were righteous. And how many today have that same idea? It is a system of works righteousness that all the various forms of false religions in the world today still hold on to so that they may see themselves as justified and made right before God. Every false religion. Kevin has talked about it. It's all about what they have to do in order to earn or merit heaven or nirvana or whatever they call it in their particular false religion. And that's what it is. That's what they all are. Nothing but false religions apart from believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look in Romans 3. We're going to backtrack just a little bit. We're going to read quite a portion here from Romans 3. Just to remind ourselves, begin in verse 19. We're going to go down through 31. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore... By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets, and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith 
in Jesus. That's why I pause there. And I hope you're noticing how often we hear the word faith. Faith. It's, he's calling about faith, faith, faith. Where's the boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law of through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to do what? To fulfill it. God justifies Gentiles. Understand what a shock this was to many of the hearers at that day. God justifies Gentiles? Yes. God justifies the ungodly? Yes. By faith. Not by circumcision. Not by the deeds of the flesh, not by works, not by the deeds of the law, but by faith. Paul takes away the boasting of the Jews. And I'll just share, and I know I've shared about this before, God one day knocked my feet out from under me and took away any thought of boasting I may have had when it revealed to me the, the, the doctrine of, of salvation by grace alone, that it was all Him, that I didn't play a part in it whatsoever than that He opened my eyes and then I responded, but I only responded because He drew me to Himself. And to me, that was such a glorious thing that I, I, he finally, I was at a point where he opened my eyes, I could understand that, and that just took all the boasting away. It does. And no one can boast of anything they have done. It's all him. All him. And all him and his mercy and grace toward us. Paul takes away the boasting. Then to bring this point very clear, as I said earlier, Paul introduced Abraham and, and David. Now let, let's read Romans 4, uh, verses 2 and 3. For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. See, then, then he could boast of his works. Do you see that? So he could have something to boast about, but he couldn't boast of God. Or what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And again, that's from Genesis 15. And then Paul brought forth more evidence of justification by faith and not of works by quoting David's psalm. And let's read verse 6 now. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then Paul asks this very pointed question, verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now, 
<laughs> the Jews didn't want to say, well, upon the uncircumcised also. They didn't want to say that. And then Paul gives them a history lesson. He gives them the what saith Scripture. Verse 10. How then was it accounted while he, Abraham, was circumcised or uncircumcised? I'm going to pause there for a minute. See, I wonder how many back then knew. I wonder how many of them had been in the Scripture enough that they knew the right answer to this. Because perhaps they had been taught wrongly, you see. And Paul gives the answer, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. See, Paul asks when it was that Abraham was declared to be righteous by God. In other words, when was he saved? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Because this is a very important question. You understand that. I hope you understand that. It's a very important question. If Abraham was saved after his circumcision, then circumcision might have played a part in his justification in some way. He may then have been able to argue, or they might have been able to argue, that his circumcision contributed to his justification. But if Abraham was declared righteous before his circumcision, then his circumcision could not have played a part in his justification. So do you see how important that question was? So when was Abraham declared righteous? Before or after? Well, before. Abraham was declared to be righteous, justified. We said it's in Genesis 15. Let's look at it, verse 6. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him, Abraham or Abram, for righteousness. Circumcision was not given until Genesis 17. And scholars and theologians have figured this out, that there is a gap or a time between somewhere between 12 and 20 years in between chapter 15 and chapter 17. Get a grip on that. 12 to 20 years gap in between here. And so in in Genesis 17, God lays out His covenant that He would bless Abraham and multiply him exceedingly and that He would be a father of many nations. And then let's go into Genesis 17 and verses 9 through 11. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep My covenant, you and your descendants after after you throughout their generations, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then the Apostle Paul brings Genesis 17-11 over into Romans 4, verses 11 and 12. Let's read those again. Remember what it said back in Genesis, and and the Lord said, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
Now, verse 11. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who have also walk, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. I hope your head's just not reeling in the midst of this. Because if you kind of get a grip on, on, on Paul, the master, the master at bringing forth and making it rock solid of what he's saying. Paul has proven with the Word of God. He has proven with the Word that the Jews held dear that Abraham was not saved, was not justified by circumcision. So was Abraham the father of the Jews only? No. He was a Gentile when God called him. He was uncircumcised when God declared him righteous. Why? That he might be the father of all those who believe. So who is Abraham the father of? Those who believe. Those who believe. Both Jew and Gentile. Those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of the circumcision, the Jews, to those who are not only who not only are of the circumcision, but who and see there's the important line there, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still circumcised. You can't just sit back and say, Well, I'm a Jew. It's not enough. It's not enough. Well, I've I've been circumcised. It's not enough. It's not enough. Circumcision alone accounts for nothing. Nothing. Justification is by grace through faith and not of works, not of ceremony, not of any deed. See, this is that thing that he's got to keep hounding on and pounding on and, and getting it, trying to get it to them. Let's go into 1 Corinthians 7, verses 18 through 20. Because as, as we talk about this, and as, we, as you read your Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, you're going to be amazed, perhaps, at how many times this subject is brought up over and over and over again to bring home the very point that Paul is making here. 1 Corinthians 7, 18 through 20. Was anyone called while circumcised? The answer? Yes. Let him not become uncircumcised. Let me pause there. Because that caught me. I was going, oh, hey. there was a surgery. Even back then, 
that they could do to make the male appear that he had not been circumcised. Why would a Jew want to do that? So they'd fit in. So it would not be ashamed. So that when they were in the Roman bathhouse, others wouldn't be pointing fingers. That's a Jew. You understand? It was a pride thing. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Yes. Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commands of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. There's no need to do anything else. The work has all been done by Him. Do, do we see that? So I hope we do. See, see this, this was a huge area of contention at the beginning of the church age. Should we, should we still be circumcised? Do we need to have that procedure and, and get uncircumcised? Well, what about the new believers that... The Gentiles, do they need to be circumcised? In Acts 15, verse 1, we're just going to read the one verse. We're not going to read the whole chapter. You can do that later. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now I'm taking that to mean those who had come to Christ. And taught the brethren. Now listen to this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were saying to this to those who had come to faith. Come to find out there were many Jewish rabbinical writings from this time and even afterward that repeated this very thing that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And they are yet today many professing Jews who are begging on their circumcision to get them to heaven. Even yet today. And I read this. I went back in my old notes when, when we preached that sermon. I think it was maybe back in November of, of the circumcision of the heart. And this was from Charles Hodges' commentary on Romans. And he said this, quote, Rabbi Manachem, in his commentary on the book of Moses, says, Our rabbins have said that no circumcised man will see hell. In the Jolkut Rabbinai, it is taught, circumcision saves from hell. In the Medrash Telem, it is said, God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised should be sent to hell. In the book of Akadath, Jezerhak, it is taught that Abraham... Now listen to this. It is... It is taught that Abraham sits before the gate of hell and does not allow that any circumcised Israelite should enter there. That's taught, end quote. That's taught. So, so you see what Paul was up against. See, their argument is that salvation is for the Jews and that what makes a Jew a Jew is circumcision. Just the act the ceremony that took place on the eighth day after their birth. But 
Paul reminds them that they are lawbreakers. He had said, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And what was he saying there? That the law-breaking Jew was no better than the heathen Gentile. That's what he was saying. All have sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one. Though a person was saved by grace through faith and not of works, there were those who wanted to start adding works back into God's plan of salvation. The book of Galatians begins just in the first few verses where, where Paul says, I marvel at how quickly you have fallen back to old tradition and things. That's basically what he was saying. He said, I marvel at that. And here were these that were saying, you can't be saved unless you also do this and this. And that, folks, is legalism. That's legalism. That's what Christ say. That that's that's them, the Pharisees, desiring to add weight upon a, pe- a person's back so that they have to carry it around upon them, adding other things other than what the gospel and the word of God says. So let's go to Galatians for just a moment. Galatians six verses eleven through fifteen. You still with me? Say Amen. Galatians 6, 11 through 15. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. I'm going to pause there for a minute. <laughs> Did you know there's quite a debate on what's being said there? Did you know that? Well, why, why was he writing in large letters? Some will say, well, Paul's thorn in the flesh was his eyesight. He couldn't see, so he had to write big. Here's, you want to know where I come down on this? Here's where I come down. I believe... I believe he's writing in large letters because he wants to emphasize what he's saying. That's what I believe. Because if you look in my notes, you're, you're going to see bold. You're going to see bold and underlined. You're going to see bold and underlined and with one of those little dots over there to decide to highlight it. So that, so that I will remember that's, that's important. And I think this is me. This is me. And I may be totally wrong, but this is me. I believe he's saying, he's saying I'm putting in large print so that you can see it yourself. And this is important. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. See, these were those. There's evangelists today that does very similar. These are those that wanted to boast of how many uh, believing Gentiles they got circumcised. You understand what I'm saying? It was a notch in their belt. Many evangelists today will go around and if they can get a big bunch of people to repeat a little prayer, they're going to notch it in their belt. Look at all the ones I got saved. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to read that verse 13 again and then get to 14. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And then verse 14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but a new creation. Now, I want to say this. How often have I read that verse 14? Perhaps when we're singing a song, I'll just read verse 14. But did, did you see what bookends on both sides of verse 14? What's it talking about? Circumcision. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast not in circumcision, not in anything else, but God forbid that I or you or anybody should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but a new creation. See how important this issue was at the foundation of the church to get this right. We have absolutely nothing to boast in except in the cross of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. Let's put it up there again. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul is continually trying to knock the boasting out of here. And rightly so. Paul has turned the Jews' boasting upside down. And they didn't like it. I want to read... I don't know if any of you ever read any of James Boyce or any of his commentaries or, or any of his sermons, but James, in his commentary, he said it this way, quote, It is not the Gentile that must come to the Jew's circumcision for salvation. It is the Jew who must come to a Gentile faith, a faith such as their father Abraham. See, that's a little thought-provoking, isn't it? But it's true. Uh, it's not the Gentile that must come to the Jew's circumcision for salvation. It is the Jew who must come to a Gentile faith, a faith such as their father Abraham. That's why I call it a Gentile faith, because Abraham was a Gentile when it was imputed to him for righteousness, you see. Let me keep going. If you were a Jew and are saved, if you are a Jew and are saved, it is not because you are a Jew. It is because of the work of Jesus Christ. If you are a Gentile and are saved, it is not because of anything you are or have done as a Gentile. It is because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now li listen to this. Listen. No one is saved because he or she has been baptized or confirmed, or gone to Mass, or shared in a communion service. A person is saved through faith in the perfect and completed work of Christ. Either you have been saved by Him, or you have not been saved at all. It is by faith and not by works that one is justified. That's good word right there. So what does circumcision avail? Nothing. Nothing. At Galatians 6.15, 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And just, just let me say, what, what's the new creation? That's a new creation in Christ. That's, a, that's by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5-17. You know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation, a new creation in Christ. Circumcision avails nothing. So here's the question. If circumcision avails for nothing, why circumcision at all? Why did God institute it in the first place? That's a valid question, isn't it? And perhaps should have been a question that you have pondered at some time. Why was it instituted upon all of Abraham's descendants? Well, let's go back. Let's go back. Genesis 17, verse 11. And you, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, let's go, as Paul repeats it in Romans 4, verse 11. And he and Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. Why? That he might be the father of all who believe, though they are un though they are uncircumcised, and righteousness might be imputed to them also. A sign. It said a sign in Genesis. It said a sign here in Romans. What is a sign? Here's the definition that I found that I think says it pretty good. A sign is a visible object that points to something different from and greater than itself. We'll read it again. A sign is a visible object that points to something different from and greater than itself. So what's the sign of circumcision pointing to? The faith of Abraham. That's what it's pointing to. See, was circumcision the covenant? No. No. It was a sign of the covenant. Now, now, yes, circumcision was a physical, racial mark of identity for the Jews, and it distinguished them from others, separated them, but more importantly, it was a sign to point them all back to that which was greater, the covenant between God and Abraham. It was a constant reminder of Abraham's faith that was given by God apart from any works of Abraham. That's why it was called a sign. That outward sign of circumcision of the flesh was the visible object that pointed to something far greater, the circumcision of the heart. Paul talked about this in, in, in Romans 2. That, that was that sermon from probably back last November. Let's read uh, Romans 2 verses 28 and 29. See, Paul talked about this way back there and he's still talking about it in chapter 4 and he's going to keep going. 
Romans 2, 28 and 29, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. What's that mean? With, the, with circumcision. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. See, Paul is, is bringing home. He's bringing home. And the Jews already knew this. They already had Scripture if they would have just said, What saith Scripture? Because here's what Scripture said. Let's go to Deuteronomy. We're going to go to Deuteronomy and then we're going to go to Jeremiah. So in Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 through 17. Deuteronomy 10, 14 through 17. Now listen. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So what has Scripture always, it was always a sign that pointed to something greater. You see, a circumcision of the heart. If you go into Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. See, we know what that's talking about now, don't we? So that we may have eternal life. God had always wanted first to cut away the sin that covered the heart. Circumcision of the heart. So now let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 4, verses 3 and 4. Now stay with me now. Stay with me. This, I'm hoping this will all pull all of this together of why this is so important to the Apostle Paul and even for us today. Jeremiah 4, verses 3 and 4. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your hearts. Of your hearts. You men of Judah and the habits of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Now take that and, and play that all that out in the plan of salvation and, and, and of, of judgment, you see. What will avail? Physical circumcision? No, avails nothing. What will avail? Circumcision of the heart. Of the heart. And it, it's always been that. Uh, Jeremiah 9, verses 24 through 26. Jeremiah 9, 24 326, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, 
says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. It's talking judgment. He's talking the condition of the heart. It was always God's intent for the physical circumcision to be a sign pointing to a greater work of God, the circumcision of the heart. In the same way, and this is me, in the same way other works of obedience are signs of a greater work wrought by God. Baptism and obedience for those who have been born again. But it's a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign that points to a believer's spiritual death, burial, and resurrection to new life in Christ. It's a sign that points to that which is greater, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. So do we see that? Baptism is but a sign. How about communion? Communion also, an act of obedience. Do this as often as... An act of obedience. A sign that points us to the cross of Christ, His body broken and His blood shed for the remission of sin. So we come to the table, and it's a sign. Does it avail anything of its own? No. Does baptism avail anything? Of its own, no. But it points to that which does. It's a sign. It's a sign. Any of these acts of obedience, whether circumcision, baptism, or communion, are all but signs and seals of what has happened spiritually and invisibly. Do we get a grip on that? Because listen. They are a sign and seal of what has happened spiritually and invisibly, but they are not and never have been a means of salvation. Okay? They are only signs pointing to something greater, a spiritual circumcision of the heart, a salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. In Galatians 3, verses 6 and 7. I'm coming to the end of this for too long. Stay with me. Stay with me. Galatians 3, verses 6 and 7. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. That goes back to the question I asked earlier. Who are the sons of Abraham? See, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews... He's the father of the Jews. Well, he's the father of the believing Jews. He's the father of the believing one who has been circumcised. He is the father of the believing one who is yet uncircumcised. So what makes anyone a child of Abraham is not circumcision, baptism, communion, or any other work or custom what makes anyone a 
child of Abraham, if you want to say it that way, is faith in the God who justifies the ungodly. That's what Paul keeps saying. That's what Paul keeps saying. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed God. So I want to end by asking that question that I ask so often. Very familiar. Do you believe? This is for anyone who may be listening to the sermon. Do you believe God? Has your belief been accounted to you for righteousness? Or are you like the unsaved, circumcised Jew of the day who are trusting in something else for your salvation? Trusting in one day with a big group of of other kids or something, repeating a little prayer that some well-meaning teacher said in Sunday school, pray this little prayer, invite Jesus in your heart, and you did that, and you invited Jesus in your heart, then you signed a card, and you were baptized, you joined the church, and you were yet still as lost as could be. Are you still banking on that? Are, Are you banking on being brought up maybe as a Catholic, because if you ask, have you been born again? Well, yes. 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 I, I, yes, I've been born again. As an infant, as a baby, when the priest poured or sprinkled the waters of regeneration over me in baptism, I was born again. That's what they believe. Or, or I come to the, to the Mass, or I come to the table, and I eat of the bread, and I drink of the blood of Christ. And as I drink the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ washes away my sin. Do you see what people are banking on even yet today? I'm telling you, everything the Apostle Paul said is true. There's only one way. There's only one way to God. And it's by believing God. Believing Him. Romans 10 verses 9 through 13 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. Now, now, did that take on an even greater meaning as I've read this, that I've read so often when I said, for with the heart. With everything that we've talked about, circumcision of the heart, does that bring it? home for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between jew and greek the same lord over all is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved see this this is romans 10 you see, you see where he's going. All who call upon him, circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew, Gentile, all who call upon him shall be saved. And he started out, remember Paul started out in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul made this declaration, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, for it, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, 
as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks for your word. And, and I pray, I pray, Lord, that it has brought clarity to perhaps some things that we didn't maybe consider as much as we should have. That it brought clarity to know that, that our salvation is not based on anything, anything other than and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray that should there be one who is yet lost, that by Your great power, by the power of the Spirit and the truth of Your Word, You would open eyes, open ears, so that they might see, so that they might understand that Your Word is true. So open their eyes to see Your glory, to see your holiness, to see your righteousness. And Father, in light of seeing you for that first time, the sinner, the sinner trembles because all is revealed. And Father, in that moment of brokenness before you, through that miracle of salvation, draw them close to you, Grant them faith that they might believe. Grant them a heart, a circumcised heart of repentance that they would believe and receive Christ repenting of their sins and turning from their sins and follow You all of their days. And Father, for those of us who are born again, I pray that You would help us that, that we might be obedient in sharing the Gospel that we might be obedient in living the Gospel before others and that we would joyfully follow You every day. So help us, Lord. Go with us now, I pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen.